Well, good morning, Taylors. It truly is a, uh, a huge joy uh, to be able to see you uh, today and to be able to worship with you. Uh, man, uh, not even a hurricane uh, could stop us from getting together today, right? And uh, it is so good to see you, and it's such an honor to be here. As Kevin said, my name is Jay Hardwick, and uh, believe it or not, this is how old I am, all right? Uh, 20 years ago, almost, I had the opportunity of serving here at Taylor's, my final year at North Greenville. Chuck Morton is the one to blame. Um, He kept telling me about uh, the opportunity to serve here as an intern, specifically in the student ministry, and uh, came on and just uh, blown away by the opportunity to serve a great church like Taylor's in that capacity as a young guy called to ministry, figuring out what that looked like, finishing up school at North Greenville, heading towards seminary. Uh, Little did I know, not long after I got into that role as an intern, uh, through some unexpected transition in student ministry, I got a phone call from Phil Hargrove, who was serving as the Minister of Education at the time. Many of you know Phil. And uh, Phil called me down to his office, and I thought, uh, man, I've really done it now. You know, this is not going to go well. And uh, Phil asked me, and Dr. Carswell was in his office as well, um, if I would take over the student ministry and lead in an interim uh, basis. And I'm in college, and, and these giants of the faith are asking me and trusting me with this opportunity. And their belief in, their support of, their encouragement to me, let me tell you, then and now, uh, meant the world to me then, it means the world still uh, to me now. Had a phenomenal year serving in that role as I finished up at North Greenville. My fiance at the time, now my wife of almost 20 years, Laura Beth and I, uh, got married and went on to seminary at Southern, but then even without me knowing, Dr. Carswell uh, worked behind the scenes and did some things on my behalf that made that transition and our time in seminary. Uh, just a blessed, blessed time. So I want you to know, Taylors, I don't know a lot of you. I know some of you, but I don't know a lot of you. But I want you to know you have made an incredible impact in my life and in my ministry. And everywhere my family and I have served, you have gone with us. Because 20 years ago, you believed in a, in a, in a young college student that was inexperienced, didn't know what he was doing, but you gave him a chance. And you believed in him. And I'm thankful that now, 20 years, to get, 20 years later, we can get back together after uh, I served in student ministry, planted a church, we pastored a church, now I get to serve on the leadership team of our state convention, leading our church planting team, and serving on our broader leadership team as well. I'm so glad we get to come back together, and thank God for what he's done, but then look ahead to how God is still working here, and how he still wants to use you to make this great gospel known in this community and to the ends of the earth, and I'm so glad to be able to be with you today. Truly, truly is an honor. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. I want to say, Kevin mentioned it, um, because of your giving to the cooperative program and the Janie Chapman State Missions offering, um, I can absolutely tell you that South Carolina Baptist disaster relief teams are already on the site, on the scene of some of the hardest hit areas, both in our state and in North Carolina. Uh, they've been on alert, been ready to go. They were mobilized through the weekend. Those folks are already there. And so your giving, your praying, your sending is already making an impact in some of the hardest hit areas of our state and in North Carolina. And uh, we'll continue to make an impact for months and months and months to come uh, through uh, your support of the cooperative program and Jenny Chapman Missions offering and our South Carolina Baptist Convention uh, disaster relief team. So thank you for your giving. Thank you for your uh, participation.
participation. I'm really glad as well to be able to join with you in what you guys have been doing this year and reading through God's Word collectively together as a faith family. I'm just not sure there's anything more life-changing you could do than commit together as a faith family uh, to study and read through God's Word together and, and to let that be a celebration that you that you join in together in every Sunday as you gather here. And so uh, I love that, and I'm glad that we get to jump in together and study specifically today, Luke chapter 23. And so I want to ask Caleb Ross if he'll come and read our text this morning, and then we're going to come back and talk through Luke chapter 23, verse 32 to 49. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lets to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into the kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land, until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and all the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Church, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. Uh, for your word that we are able to turn to right now uh, in the midst of uh, whatever might be going on in our lives. We can turn to your word that we know is authoritative in all matters, we know is true, Uh, we know is from you, Uh, we know is going to point us to Jesus and what you have done for us in and through him. And thank you that today we get to turn to your word with needy hearts and needy lives, uh, asking that you, Lord, today would speak to us, that you would give us ears to hear what you would have to say, that you would give us hearts that are ready to receive what you speak into our lives today, and that you would give us feet that are courageous and eager and ready to apply and live out what you speak to us uh, today. So, Father, we turn our hearts, we turn our eyes, we turn our ears, we turn our, our lives to you now. And we ask that you would speak, that you would move us from where we are to where you want us to be as you use your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm assuming that in this crowd there are a good number of you who are fans of the greatest sport in the known free world, and that would be college football. Is there anybody else who's with me on that? Okay. Now, if you're a Gamecock fan like us, you didn't really know what to do yesterday. It felt a little weird, right? We've got this this storm going on, and I know there's not many of you. I know I'm in enemy territory, and I'm okay with that. That's all right. Everybody wore purple up here, and there's a whole bunch of you wearing orange out there. I get it. I get it. I'll be back next week. Let's see if we'll do a little bit better, all right? I'm just kidding. 
Just kidding. But it was a weird day, right? I mean, we're trying to find something to watch, trying to find something to pass the time. There were no, no Gamecocks to watch, but we wound up watching everybody else a little bit yesterday in our house, caught a little bit of, of all the games, and I love it. I love the games. I love everything. love everything about college football. It's just, it's just so much fun, and obviously here in the South, it is such a big deal. Um, there is a show that you may have heard of on Net, Netflix. It's called Last Chance You. Has anybody ever heard of this? It's a documentary series. It profiles, uh, started off profiling a major junior college football program in Mississippi. It's now transitioned um, to one in Kansas. And they get the name Last Chance U because these junior colleges serve as sort of a, a last chance opportunity for players that have plenty of talent and plenty of skill to play top level college football, but for whatever reason, something prevented them from being able to take that step. So maybe there was an academic issue, and so they need to brush up on their academic they need to raise their scores, raise their GPA, whatever that might be. Uh, maybe there was a, a off-the-field behavioral issue uh, that kept them from being able to move forward, and so there's a, there's a character growth and, and a maturity that needs to happen for them. Um, any number of things that could have prevented these young men from being able to play the highest levels of college football, but they wind up in these junior college programs that have this unique opportunity to take these young men who, who are hurting in some ways because a dream that they had long dreamed and worked so hard for maybe was not quite coming to fruition the way that they planned it, uh, but yet they've also inherited them in this fragile time where if it doesn't happen over the course of about two years... If they don't get the academics in line, if they don't get the behavioral issues, the character issues in line, whatever it might be, if those things are not fixed, then, then many of these young men wind up dropping out of school, never get a college education, and miss out on so much of, of what they could have done in their lives, both on the field or off the field. And so when you watch this, you see uh, the, the rigorous academics and then the focus on academics that those around the football program put into it. You see the discipline. You see the structure they're trying to instill in these young men. And many have gone on and, and they've been successful in college careers. Some, however, have not. I read a heartbreaking story of a young man who's as gifted and talented as anybody, recruited by every major college program in the country, committed to one, wound up getting kicked off the team, landed in one of these junior colleges. It didn't work out there, transferred to another couple of schools, wound up dropping out, and wound up in jail after a horrible string of illegal activity. That's why it's called Last Chance You, because for many of these young men, this is their last chance. Today, in this text, in Luke chapter 23, we see a picture of a last chance encounter with Jesus. On the cross, hung between two thieves, here is our Savior, and on either side are thieves. Within hours of their death, both of them had a response to Jesus. It was very, very different, but for both of them, it was their last chance. And as we study and understand this last chance encounter Jesus had with these thieves and also those who were in the crowd and surrounding the crosses at that time, we understand, I think, a lot about God's grace and how God's grace works in us to save us, but not just to save us, but how God's grace works in us to sustain us and what exactly is available to us through the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. Luke chapter 23 sets the scene for us at Calvary. There's three men who have been condemned. They've been stripped. They've been beaten. 
They've been made to carry their own execution instrument, their cross, up this awkward hill, this long, rough terrain. All along the way, the streets are lined with people that are shouting insults at them, spitting upon them, mocking them. It's humiliation to the highest degree that culminates with the most excruciating, most horrifying way for a person to lose their life. Crucifixion in full public view. The mocking continues, the jeers continue. But as we see the scene, as Caleb read for us in Luke 23, there was also sort of a, an eerie silence that surrounded things. There's an eerie silence. Some of this crowd that gathered around, they're there because they want to see these people die. They want to see justice served with these that they have determined to be criminals and worthy of death. Some, they're there because it's just like when you pass an accident on the interstate. You, you can't help but look. You just can't look away, no matter how bad it is, what you might see. There are the soldiers, the executioners, professionals. They go about their work as soon as these who have been tried and convicted and sentenced to death uh, reach them on the top of that hill. They, they put the, the crosses together. They nail those who will be crucified, they nail them to the cross as these men have done, these executors have done hundreds and hundreds of times. They, they're not rookies. They are, they are veterans. They're used to this. Nothing in this scene is grabbing anything emotional in them. This is what they do on a week-to-week basis. And then the three are raised, deemed by their culture to be failures, now within hours of what would be their end. Now, two were criminals. They were bandits. They were thieves, infidels, dangerous men who had reached their predictable end. A, a life of crime found out, tried, and now would end in their execution. But the third man was very, very different. The third man was very different. The one in the middle. He wasn't a crook. He wasn't an infidel. He wasn't an imbecile. He wasn't a threat. He hadn't lived a life of crime. He had instead healed the sick. He had welcomed the stranger. He had provided for those who had nothing. He had given up whatever authority and whatever right might be his. Even lived his life as a homeless person with no place even to lay his head. Proclaiming Love, proclaiming redemption, proclaiming servanthood, proclaiming forgiveness to all who would receive and believe in his message and believe who he was. And these claims that Jesus made were seen as a direct challenge to the authority of the Jewish elites. And so once they had finally had enough and they had their end through one of his followers betraying his own, betraying Jesus... They leveraged every aspect of the political apparatus of the Roman Empire that they, that they had at their disposal to have him tried as a sham, to have him convicted, and to have him then sentenced to execution. So you have two who are, are, are justly, justifiably criminals, and then you have one who's the exact opposite. Which is why Jesus' response to all of this injustice is striking. And we cannot miss the weight 
or significance of it because in his response, we see his overwhelming, matchless, reckless, rescuing, redeeming love and grace as we just sang. Look what Jesus says in Luke 23, verse 34. He says, from the cross, looking at a crowd of people, mocking him, spitting upon him, stripped naked, beaten to a bloody pulp, as Isaiah says, beyond even recognition. Hanging, bleeding, suffering, dying. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. While others would respond with venom, while, while others would, would shout insults back from the cross and the insults would just get louder and the shouts would get louder and the scene would get more violent in a normal occurrence. With Jesus, while the crowd shouts their insults, Jesus prays. And he doesn't pray for himself. God, get me out of this. Father, rescue me. No, what he prays is, Father, rescue them. He's not begging for his rescue. He is begging. He is begging for mercy for those who have, who have placed him on this cross and have shouted, crucify He's not begging for all of this to stop. He is praying in commitment to accomplishment of the mission and why he came in the first place. It's why it's very important we remember what Jesus said. No one takes his life. He lays it down that he might take it up again. He's not begging for his rescue. He's begging for their rescue. He's not calling out in venom and hatred. He is praying for mercy and forgiveness and grace and redemption. What a stunning picture of our sacrificial Savior that we see. Now make no mistake about it, folks. He's not excusing the actions. He's, he's, not, excuse, he's not sweeping this under the rug. Rather, what he's doing is he's paying for them. In his death, he is paying for the sins of the very ones who shouted crucify, who mocked him, who rejected him, who nailed him to the cross. He's not excusing their sins. He's paying for their sins. And while they did not understand the full enormity, the full gravity of their sin, Jesus absolutely did. And to their blindness, he responds with mercy. This is our Savior and our King. In response to our sin, he cries, forgive. In response to our rejection, he cries, forgive. Forgive. 
And many see this picture of Jesus and see that, that, that maybe he was just like all the others who've claimed to be, claimed to be prophets, claimed to be Messiah types, claimed to be saviors, whatever their claim might be. And say, well, see, he, he died. He died just the same. Weak, broken. He's just like any other savior. Except three days later, he rose from the grave. Some hear his words. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. And say, what a, what a narrow-minded, what a, what a judgmental, self-centered tyrant he must have been. And those who follow him must be the same. Yet, how many, how many, how many have died, have died, as the just payment for sin for those that would be their people. How many? What we see is Jesus accomplishing the mission. He is dying for his people. He is dying as the just payment for our sin before a holy God. He is the one who is paying the wage of death that our sin deserves. Jesus is the one. And even for those who have nailed him to the cross, he is dying for their sin. It's why he cries out for their mercy. He cries out for them to know the forgiveness that's available to them through what he is doing on their behalf. And it's why we can't see this, this, this climactic moment of Jesus' life and his earthly ministry. We can't see this and walk away numb and walk away unresponsive. We, we can't just dismiss this, but we must give a response. And while there are many people and even many different groups of people gathered around the cross, there are really only two types of people, then and now, those who reject Jesus and those who receive Jesus. And it's in response to this stunning picture of our sacrificial Savior that we see both. This day, in this scene, we see the crowd who rejected Jesus with their unbelief. In verse 35, it says, the people stood by watching. Now understand, these were the very same people who, who just hours earlier are shouting at the tops of their lungs in, in a near riot state, crucify, crucify, crucify. And while time after time after time, the opportunity was given for everybody to come to their senses and realize they're trying to, trying to put a, an innocent man on trial as if he has committed sins, as, he, as if he's truly broken a law, they, they only shouted crucify all the more. Why? Because fundamentally they did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was. That he was not the Messiah. He was not their Savior. And now when they see him nailed to the cross... Because these were people who would have been well versed in what we now know as the Old Testament. The words of Deuteronomy chapter 21 are ringing in their ears that cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree. Paul echoed those words in Galatians chapter 3. Speaking of Jesus and exactly what Jesus was accomplishing on this day at this very moment. And so these who shouted in unbelief, who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, did not believe that he was the Savior, they now said, see, look, God has cursed him. God has rejected him. 
all the while missing the fact that the whole reason why Jesus was hanged on a tree was because it was our curse that he bore, not his own. It was our sin. It was the curse that we deserve. But they missed it. And in their unbelief, they shouted, crucify, and stood by and watched as he suffered and as he bled and as he ultimately, on this cross, died. That's why Isaiah 53 said that he was a man of sorrows, that he was despised, he was rejected, that we deemed him stricken by God. And that's why John said, the Apostle John said, that he came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. They turned away from him because they rejected him in unbelief. But it wasn't just the people. It wasn't just the crowd that rejected him. There was also the rulers, the religious rulers of the day that rejected Jesus in their legalism. They rejected him in their legalism. It says, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him. Understand that for them, this was a great moment of victory because this thorn in their side was now being put away. Finally, they got him. They've been trying to trap him. They've been trying to get him for for so long, and now finally they got him. This is a moment of victory for them. They're finally going to get away and, and do away with this one who is claiming to be the Messiah, That this one who is claiming to be the promised one, that this one who is claiming to be the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Old Testament, this one that is claiming to be the one sent from God, See, these rulers, they had, a, they had a system and it was filled with ritual and it was filled with tradition and their thinking was our right standing with God comes from our right behavior. As we follow the rules and we follow the traditions and we follow the rituals, then we have a right standing with God. We do not need a savior. We don't need someone to save us. Our behavior, our good works, our, our following the rules and the, and, the, and the traditions and the rituals, that is what will save us. That is what will give us a right relationship with God. No, what we need, what we need is a liberator, not a spiritual liberator to set us free spiritually, but we need, we need a political liberator. We need someone who will free us from tyranny. We need someone who will lead us to be the greatest and the most powerful and the most influential to take over the whole world and make it all ours. That's what we need. See, they're thinking that the Messiah was coming to build an earthly kingdom, missing that the Messiah was coming to build an eternal heavenly kingdom. They're thinking they need physical, political, power liberation Completely missing our deep, desperate need for spiritual liberation. To be set free from our sin and understanding that no amount of good works on our behalf can ever fundamentally, eternally set us free from our sin. But in their legalism, they rejected Jesus. But it wasn't just the crowd and it wasn't just the rulers. There were also the Roman executioners those who, who actually carried out who actually carried out the crucifixion of Jesus. It says they join in the mocking in verse 36. It says the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also this inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. 
these Roman executioners so full of their arrogance and their pride rejected Jesus as a joke. Pilate nails this, this sign or has the sign nailed over him, inscribes it, Jesus, King of the Jews, almost with a chuckle. Almost with a sly grin toward these feeble Jewish people. Oh, here's your king. <laughs> he, he's nailed on a cross. What a joke. He's nothing compared to me and my power and Roman authority. He's, he's nothing. And in their arrogance, they throw off all restraint. No holds barred. Nothing is off limits. And then there's the criminal. Criminals hung on either side of Jesus. One in verse 39 rails at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Then save yourself and us. And his, one of his final breaths, mustering up whatever strength he has left in his body that has been so severely beaten and has lost so much blood and is now on the brink of, of suffocation. He's able to find some measure of strength to push himself up on that rough wooden cross. And, and rather than a shout of humility or brokenness in response to Jesus' prayer and proclamation, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they are doing, all he has left more mocking, more jeering, more insults. And it is in his anger, in his brokenness, he rejects Jesus and his proclamation of forgiveness. Out of his physical and emotional pain, he reviles the very one who came to save him and rescue him and free him and give him hope and joins in the mocking. Now, here's what we have to see. We are susceptible to rejecting Jesus in exactly the same ways. How, how often in our lives, and, and this is true whether you're a, a follower of Jesus or not, but how often in our lives are we met with seasons and times in our lives where we, if we're honest, do not really believe that Jesus is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do and has done what he has said he has done? How, how many times, how many times do we look to do we look to the, how the scales are tipping in our favor or against in terms of our behavior and say, well, God must have cursed me or God must bless me. I've done all of this, God. Why haven't you blessed me? Why haven't you done this? Why haven't you done that? Or we say, I haven't done all of these things. God is out to get me. God is, 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 re has rejected me. He has thrown me out. How often do we in our arrogance trust more in ourselves and our own power than we do in the saving power of Jesus to save us and rescue us and transform us and give us new life and give us hope? How often do we in our anger and our brokenness, maybe our bitterness, maybe even our grief and guilt and shame over our own sin, how often do we hide thinking our sin is too great for our great God? 
We are susceptible to rejecting Jesus in exactly the same way, which is why it's incredible we get this picture of the other criminal. The other criminal, rather than shouting at Jesus in anger, rather than shouting at him in arrogance, rather than rejecting him, he receives him. And he receives him by repentance and faith. Now initially, this criminal joined in the mocking against Jesus. Mark records that in his, in, in, in his accounting of the crucifixion scene in Mark 15 verse 32 says that both criminals were joining their voices, lifting, raising their voices in the mocking, but something changed. Something changed for this other criminal. Perhaps, perhaps it was when he heard Jesus proclaim, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Maybe he thought, if Jesus can proclaim forgiveness over these people who obviously hate him so much, who want so much for him to be dead, who have gone to such extensive lengths to have him wrongly arrested, wrongly tried, wrongly convicted, and now wrongly executed. If he can proclaim forgiveness over them, then maybe, just maybe, maybe there's hope for me. Maybe he can forgive me. Maybe there's some of that grace and mercy that is available for me. And so, it's not in the brains of the scholars or the brute strength of the soldiers that we find the way to receive Jesus, but it is in the broken humility and confession and repentance of a dying criminal that we find how we receive and respond to God's grace. It's not in how strong we are. It's not in how much we know. But it is in confession and repentance. In humility and brokenness and faith and hope. That we receive and we respond to this Jesus and his offer of forgiveness. We see in verse 40 and 41. This criminal says the other rebuked him. That's not rebuking Jesus. He's rebuking the other criminal. He says, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. In this statement, this criminal acknowledges that he is a sinner. He deserves to die. He has sinned. He has broken the law. I am suffering the just consequences for my breaking of the law. And by the way, so are you. But he also acknowledges this, that whatever suffering he and this other criminal will experience on earth for their sin, it is just a shadow of the eternal consequence and suffering that comes when you stand face to face with a holy God. He says, do you not fear God? Like, you think this is bad? Do you have any idea what's coming? What happened in this guy's heart that he even thought this? That he could even say this? I don't know, except the Lord is at work. He had a full understanding of his sin, not just against a government, against a, a law system, but against a holy God. And he knew that in and of himself, there's no chance 
I am a sinner. I have fallen short of the glory of God, the mark of God, the standard of God, and I need someone else. I need a Savior. So he confesses his sin. He doesn't hide from it. He doesn't act like it's not there. He doesn't try to sweep it under the rug. He owns it in full public view. He owns it. He confesses it. And then in verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He puts his full weight and faith and trust in Jesus, saying to him, I absolutely believe that you are the king, you are the Messiah, you are the Savior. Will you, Jesus, forgive me? And will you remember me when you come into your eternal kingdom? Will you rescue me? For this guy, it was his last chance, you. And how did he respond? With confession and repentance. And how is it that we are saved? It is in confession and repentance. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. He speaks that to people who at that very moment are shouting their insults, mocking him, who have, who have put him through this sham trial and have put him on a cross, stripped, humiliated, beaten, and now nailed to a cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. How do you receive that forgiveness in your life? It's not by hiding your sin away as if it's not there or as if an an omnipresent God who is everywhere and who is all-knowing can't see it and doesn't know. But we own our sin and we confess our sin. And in confessing our sin, we are met with what? Grace and forgiveness and mercy from the one who proclaimed it from the cross as he suffered and bled and died for the very sins that we would confess to him. And it is significant, Jesus' response. Today, you will be with me. He doesn't say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and die on the cross, but I'm going to get you down because you've got to go fix some things and make some things right, and then you can come be with me in my kingdom. That's not what he said. He said, today... There was no way for this man to go through his life and undo everything that he had done wrong. He couldn't do that. He had thrown himself full faith, full trust, full confidence in what Jesus was doing, that it would be enough to pay the cost for his sin that he deserved to pay to stand righteous before a holy God. And it's why Jesus could say, today you will be with me in paradise. It's why what happens in verse 44 and following to the end of the section Caleb read for us, where upon Jesus' death, he proclaims in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He says, it is finished. The payment for sin has been made. All sin, past, present, and future, all sin has been paid for. And the temple curtain splits top to bottom, thick curtain, heavy weight, no possible way that a human can make this happen. This is an act of God. And what is God doing? He is opening himself to all who will confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord and throw themselves fully upon him 
and his life, his death, and his resurrection as the just payment for their sin and their means of standing righteous before a holy God. To all who will believe, God has made himself and his grace available. And this is such good news. Because you know what we learn from this last chance encounter? Here's what we learn. It's not too late. It's not too late for you. And your sin's not too great. It's not too late for you if you're not a follower of Jesus. It's not too late for you. By God's grace, the lights came on today. And the road was clear. And something happened in your heart today that brought you into this place. And now you have heard this word. It is God saying in His grace and His mercy, it's not too late even for you. No matter how far you've run, no matter how long you have run, God's grace runs farther and He is pursuing you today and He's inviting you. Saying for forgiveness is available to you. Hope is available to you. It's not too late for you. And your sin is not too great. Your sin might be great. My sin is great. But God's grace is greater. Jesus didn't die for some of your sin. He didn't die for the big sins. He didn't die for the small sins. He died for all of your sin and all of my sin. He paid the just payment that we deserve to pay. He paid it on our behalf. And when you confess with your mouth and you place the full weight and confidence upon him and his finished work on your behalf, you can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can be rescued. You can be set free. It's not too late and your sin is not too great. Jesus' proclamation is forgive them. Forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Have you responded to this forgiveness? And have you received this forgiveness? And in closing, I want to say this. This is very important. It's easy, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, to hear this. And say, well, man, I'm really glad all of these people that don't know Jesus are here today to hear that and completely miss the message for yourself or for me. We don't just need this gospel message on the first day that we place our faith in Jesus. We need this gospel message every day that we live in relationship with Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but this is true for me. Every day that I live in relationship with Jesus, two things become more and more clear to me. One is I'm a way bigger sinner than I ever imagined. When I came to Christ, I had full awareness of my sin at that time, right? But now the further along I go, I start discovering sins of my mind and my thoughts, my words, even the words that I want to speak that I don't speak, the motive of my heart, even for doing good things. And you lay that bare before a holy God and you can't help but say, oh Lord, forgive me. I'm a way bigger sinner than I ever imagined. Here's the second truth, though. That means Jesus is a way bigger Savior than I ever imagined. Because he already died for it. And the penalty has already been paid in full. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's not too late and your sin is not too great. You can find the forgiveness and the grace of God today. Today. I'm so glad you're here and you can find it today. David's going to be down front. We're going to have a time of invitation. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to come and say, I need to be saved. I need to place my faith in Jesus. But if you are a follower of Jesus, the invitation to you is exactly the same. 
because maybe there's a sin that you are holding on to and you're trying to take care of it all on your own. And subtly what's happened is you've rejected Jesus because you're not believing that he really is who he says he is and that you can take care of your sin on your own and you just got to try harder and do more and that'll just be it rather than confession and repentance of that sin and walking in the good news of the gospel, the good news that Jesus proclaimed from the cross. Forgive them. They know not what they are doing. So would you receive the grace and the forgiveness of God that is available to you today? I'm going to pray. We're going to have a time of invitation and response. Father, thank you so much for your grace that has brought us together today in spite of circumstances. Thank you for your word that you have given to us today that points us to this stunning picture of Jesus, you, our sacrificial Savior, Dying in our place and for our sins and proclaiming grace and forgiveness even as you suffered and you died for us. Father, thank you that in this moment right now we have the opportunity to respond to your grace and forgiveness. And I pray for those in this place that don't know you as Savior and God that today would be the day that they would receive your offer of forgiveness and grace that is available to them in and through Jesus. That unbelief and arrogance and religion, brokenness, anger would not hold them back any further. But in confession and humility and repentance, you would call those folks to come to you and folks would obediently and passionately respond. And for those of us that know you, God, I pray that we wouldn't just push this to the side as a message that's for somebody else, but that we would take this and apply this to our lives and ask the question, where is there sin in my life that I'm holding on to, that I'm not confessing, that I'm not bringing to the one who died to rescue and save me from it? Give us humility to come before you with our sin today, Father. Receive your forgiveness and walk in the newness of life that's available to us in and through Jesus. Jesus, we praise you and we thank you for your life your death and your resurrection that makes salvation and forgiveness and eternal life available to us, to all who would enter in. It's by your grace, it's in your name, and it's for your glory. We pray and respond now in Jesus' name. Amen.